Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Here I am again at the beginning of an episode before even the music plays. It's so exciting. Um, I hope you've all had a really fantastic 4th of July. I'm recording this right on the 4th of July as we speak. Um, I've been having just a blast at TPAP with some really special old friends and some new friends that I've made this year. Um, This is a super special episode for me, as you may imagine, as it features one of my two favorite ladies in this whole world. Really, both of my two favorite ladies are in the episode, but the other one is being kind of quiet for this one. Um, This is definitely one of our earliest episodes. I think it was like the third one we recorded, fourth one we recorded, even though I think we released it fifth. Um, And you can tell I'm still kind of figuring out the formatting of what are the artist episodes going to be like, right? Um, I have many more and different questions I would do now if we could re-record it. Um, But I thought she was so excellent throughout all of it that it still made for a really good episode and a good discussion. Um, For those who are newer to the pod and are thinking about checking out MTCA, maybe rising juniors and seniors especially, just a heads up that our summer college faculty masterclasses are out now only a few weeks away. So if you want to participate in those, I would check us out ASAP to schedule a consultation. Okay, enjoy the great Elizabeth Stanley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition, a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we have a super special show lined up for you. Um, Elizabeth Stanley is coming on the show. Uh, Elizabeth is my roommate and my baby mama, and my almost-was-pandemic-robbed-someday-maybe-bride. She is brilliant and funny and beautiful, and I can't imagine you won't enjoy listening to her speak. This is another one of our artist exploration series, where we're going to look at the college process and then what carried forward into the career of some of our successful artists today. Uh, Today with Elizabeth, we talked about building your own musical theater degree, um, the switch from classical voice to musical theater, We played a newlywed game to great effect, which Elizabeth roasted me at. Um, We talked about the value of regional theater, what you can learn, especially early in your career, um, and the idea that your training is not done at 22 when you graduate college. Next week, we're going to have Kevin Covert from Shenandoah in a really great interview I think you guys will enjoy in another one of our college deep dives. But for now, let's get to Elizabeth. All right. Well, I am so excited to bring on a very special guest today, uh, Elizabeth Stanley. Uh, Elizabeth went to Indiana University as a voice major and then switched majors and ended up with a Bachelor of Science, which we'll talk about on the show. Um, On Broadway, she's played um, in Stephen Sondheim's Company, in the show Crybaby, Million Dollar Quartet, On the Town, for which she was nominated for a Drama Desk Award. And most recently, she played Mary Jane Healy in Jagged Little Pill, which she won a Grammy for, was nominated for a Drama Desk Award, and is still pending on a 2020 Tony nom for Best Actress. We will keep our fingers crossed. Um, She's also been in the national tours of Xanadu and Bridges of Madison County um, and played lots of roles on TV, including most recently uh, in Blue Bloods and on New Amsterdam last night, which aired to great applause in our living room 
as we are recording this now. Elizabeth, how do we do and how are you doing? I'm doing well. Are you, are you leaving the bio, the personal part of my bio out, which was, which is that we're having a child together? What? What? <laughs> no, you can't be talking about that in public, Elizabeth. That is private news. I, I always said this, Megan, we're not going to break tea on this pod, but apparently we are. It's coming out. Um, yes, that is a personal part of our bio. But I'll too probably do a little bit of a sweet um, hello to you at the beginning of the episode, too. I see. I see. It's for private. It's, it's only for public consumption. Well, you get to listen to it with everyone else. <laughs> um, well, Elizabeth, I'd love to kind of take you back a little bit to 16, 17-year-old Elizabeth, um, which for some might think many years ago, but it's undetermined uh, in this household. Um, I'd love to think like if you had been precocious enough to kind of have a mission statement, like what you were looking for in an educational experience. Could be a college experience, but just like as an artist, what did you think you wanted out of a school? How would you have described that school? What would it have been at 17 years old? Um, I think I was really looking for opportunities because I'm from a really small town. I went to a really tiny high school that like my high school didn't do a big musical every year. We didn't have a, a big theater department. We didn't have an orchestra. You know, we had a a band that was like doing okay. And we had a drama club that would sometimes do like a variety show or maybe a play. Um, and so any opportunity that I had was because my parents, bless them, were willing to drive me somewhere else to kind of do something at a community theater. And so I kind of felt like I want to go to a school where there are tons of like tons of stuff to do, you know, it's tons of stuff to audition for or be a part of, a part of. And then, you know, if I'm not good enough, if I don't, if I try out and I don't make it, like I'll find that out at school. But I just felt like I was dying to know, like, what else is there out there and how do I fit into it? Hmm. And do you remember the kind of audition tour of what you did back then in terms of how many schools you auditioned for, how it worked for you? Yeah, I think I auditioned for four schools. So it was, I was you know, going to study classical voice. So, um, I, I auditioned at University of Illinois cause I grew up in Illinois my parents were like, you definitely have to audition for a state school. Um, and Milliken, which my voice teacher at the time was on faculty there and, um, Oberlin and then Indiana university, which is where I ultimately ended up. And they were all, you know, all of those schools are pretty different from each other and what they had to mm -hmm. offer. Um, so I was grateful to be able to go visit and kind of get a feel for it. And I actually had sung for someone at Northwestern like the year prior. It wasn't really part of my formal audition process, but I had kind of a bad experience. So maybe not want to audition there. Mm. And, and certainly it's changed a little bit in that you started out in the classical voice world and we'll talk about how it might have changed in the musical theater world. But I love given what you said that you started up, that you ended up at such a big school, a big university. It seems like you, you got a lot of opportunities, both, theatrical and life, um, you know, going to a big school as you did. Yeah. My first choice actually, after I did all of the audition circuits was Oberlin and I got in, but I didn't get a big enough scholarship for my parents to say like, yes, go there. Um, they were really not pro me in inheriting a huge amount of debt mm -hmm. when I graduated as an artist, um, which I spent a lot of months being like, so angry about. Um, I don't know, months, maybe weeks, but I have no regrets about where I went. And in hindsight, I'm actually really grateful, especially because I did kind of alter my course a little bit 
And I'm really grateful that I didn't graduate with like tremendous debt. I just would love to highlight that um, a bit for some of our students maybe who did have to make the kind of fiscally responsible decision. And if they got into a couple of schools, went to the school that made more sense to see someone who is still so successful, especially in her love life. <laughs> Send help. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd love to jump forward into the college years a little bit. And we're going to talk specifically a bit, a bit about the, the transfer that you made, but maybe just kind of starting with Indiana as a, a whole, what was this scholastic experience like for you? So in a couple words, what was it like to you to be an Indiana student? Awesome and cool in a couple words. I mean, it was, it was great. I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, the school itself is gigantic, like huge, it's a big 10 university. Um, so like anything that you were interested in or curious about was there. I mean, I look back now and I'm like, I can't believe I didn't even know that existed. Why didn't I do that while I was there? Like, there's just so much to explore. But the music school is also like this really world-renowned conservatory. So within that giant university, I was in a really intense like conservatory program, which was wonderful. I mean, it just like, so to be honest, like I didn't explore nearly as much of the outside university as I could have because there was just so much happening in that conservatory world. Um, so I would say I became pretty like just entrenched in, you know, all of my new theater friends and all of my music friends. And, and, you know, I was taking classes with like, I had music theory every single day I was there, I think. <laughs> um, it's a really intense music theory program, which is, has been so useful to me in my career as I've moved on. Um, but I wasn't just in that class with like, other theater performers. Like I was in that class with instrumentalists and with composers and with anyone who was a music major of any sort. Mm. So it still felt like diversified, I think, within the music school because you weren't just there with other people who were artists in the same way that you were. Absolutely. And I think that word entrenched is a pretty good one for a lot of people in a conservatory experience. I think that's not uncommon that even if no matter what's going on in the school, if you're in that competitive conservatory environment, you get a little bit entrenched in that that building. You know, you may, maybe that's where you're spending most of your time where most of your energy and focus is going for sure. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about what the experience of, of switching majors was. So you started off as a classical voice major, and then at some point you're going to graduate and having taken more musical theater classes. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So originally I would have graduated with the lovely initials of BM, a bachelor of music. Um, but I, I kind of, I think around the middle of my sophomore year, I had become friends with enough people who were in the theater department, um, who had more their sights set on a Broadway, you know, career or hopes of one. And I just got a lot more curious about that and a lot more excited about that repertoire. And um, classical music started to feel really black and white to me. Like there was, there was a correct way to do it and an incorrect way to do it. And, you know, a lot of classical art forms are like that. And at the time I was like, I wanted a little more freedom to explore and, and express myself artistically in different ways. And it felt like theater allowed for more of that. So at the time now, Indiana does now have a music theater program. But so at the time, what it meant was that I had to apply to change my major 
to become a bachelor of science with an outside field, which is like such a weird <laughs> title to have. Um, it's really, I feel like a bachelor of arts is what I created, but mm -hmm. so it just meant that instead of taking opera workshop and Italian and French diction, I was able to substitute in taking a dance class from the ballet department and taking a theater class from the theater school. So, you know, I sort of made my own <laughs> um, music theater degree, I guess, in a way while I was there. And this is still before Indiana had a BFA program, right? Yes, quite a while before. I mean, I graduated in 2000. Somewhere between 1980 and 2015, I think is the answer. I play that I graduated between this <laughs> range. Um, no, that's right. Sometimes people do get a little obsessed with what the letters are. Did I get a BA or a BFA or a BM? Most people do not have a BS in musical theater um, or in music theater or theater in general. But just what a great example of how the letters themselves don't matter. It is all a little bit of BS in terms of nobody has ever in your career asked you, yeah, what are the letters on your degree? Yeah, not never. I've never, ever had someone ask me about that. Do you have an MTCA? Yes. Do you have an MTCA? I got an MTCA. That's what I have. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Put it on a bumper sticker. <laughs> um, okay. Do you feel like you're ready to play one of two games that we're going to play today, Elizabeth? Oh, definitely. Okay. So this is our college flashback round we're going to ask you Oh, to dear. Play. Okay. Um, it is a numerical game. You have 60 seconds on the clock to answer as many questions as possible. If you can get more than 12 in a minute, you will be our new belt-holding champion of the college <laughs> Okay. Are you ready? Are you psychologically prepared? I'm, I'm scared, but I'm game. Yes, and. Well, that, that's yes, and. Exactly right. Okay. Did you kiss anyone in your class? Yes. Snack that got you through college? Snack? Peanut butter Captain Crunch. Something on the dorm room wall that you remember? Georgia O'Keeffe. <laughs> Worst college fashion choice? Butterfly hair clips. Ever possess a fake ID? Yes. Oh, no. Just someone else's. Well, that's a lie. He's lying. Do you ever cheat on a test? No. Uh, most embarrassing costume you wore? Oh, God. Um, Carmen. School alumni you wanted to be when you grew up? Oh, Kevin Klein. Craziest college ritual that you participated in? Ice cream social. Ever attend a frat or sorority party? Yes. Ever have a crush on a professor? Oh, we'll Ooh. never know. We'll never know. But did you? I'm now asking you this as your partner. Did you ever have a crush on a professor? Yeah. Yeah. How many <laughs> we get, Megan? How do we do? We got 10. 10. Oh, 12 is going to be hard to beat. It is. You got to fly to get 12, you know? And now what is this legal uh, quibble you're trying to do with? Did you possess a fake ID versus it was someone else's fake? Well, obviously everyone is someone else's fake. Well, it wasn't, it was someone else's real ID. Because you can get a fake ID that has like your face on it with the wrong information. Okay, officer. What I'm saying is that if you have, when I use my brother's ID, that's a fake ID. It's his, his ID, but it's fake for me, you know. I just want it to be clear. And it clearly cost me losing the game. <laughs> exactly. Clarity is important, but speed is of the utmost importance. <laughs> um, let's take a little bit of a slower back look at college um, in terms of, is there anything like really um, significant, uh, whether it's actually personally or professionally, that you feel like you take away from those years? Like, what are you really grateful that you did in college now as a professional? I mean, so many things, but I am probably the most grateful for the friendships that I made. I was in a choir called the Singing Hoosiers that um, was open to anyone in the university. So most of the choirs at Indiana uh, were through the music school and were 
only available to people who are music majors. But the Singing Hoosiers was through the music school, so it was open to music majors. You could take it as you know your choral elective, but it was also open to anyone else in the university. And I'm really grateful for that because I just met such a wide variety of people in that. You know, it was something that like I was kind of a little bit outside the box. Like within the music school, it was sort of like, oh, that's the worst choir. You know, it had that reputation, but it was the most fun to be in. And I made the most wonderful friends like to this day that are so a part of the fabric of my life. And I think I would sometimes meet people after I graduated who went to different programs that felt like they were I don't know, kind of involved in like a, a toxic love hate with their classmates where, cause it was just like the competitiveness was kind of bred into their program or, um, it was just the nature of the way their class was. But so I, I just didn't feel that. And I'm so grateful that to this day, I just feel like we really celebrate each other and, and, um, have been able to take our own paths and, and, just support each other through that. And I, that's kind of invaluable. Oh, I can really echo that as someone who sees it from the outside in your life. Like, I think it's a unique friendship that you have to, with such a large group of friends, all of whom support each other so much. And now for whatever we're saying, 15 to 40 years, it's been since you graduated from college, um, you know, for that <laughs> long of a period of time to have sustained it. it it's, you know, I, I have some really close friendships from college, but I don't have this, the, the numbers. I mean, you guys have, to the fact that you've, you've maintained so strongly and so well throughout the years, I think maybe especially coming from the Midwest and then coming to a New York city to have that support system of people that you know and trust and can live with at times and can lean on. Um, I think was really, seemed like it was really special. Yeah. Um, is there anything as you look back at your collegiate experience that you wish you had done differently in school? Um, so anything that you go, oh, if I could go back and take that class again, or I wish I'd paid a little more attention here. Um, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard because I think like some of the things that I'm like, oh, I wish I could change that. If I'm really practical about it, I'm like, I don't know how you would change that. But um, I was really dedicated, really focused, really prepared. And I think I missed out on fun sometimes. Hmm. So I, I feel like hardly anyone gives this advice. <laughs> like, but for me, it would have been like to, to kind of trust and test my limits of like, well, how, you know, maybe you don't have to practice that thing as many times. Like, could you do it hmm. half as many times and still have the same result? Like, I just wasn't willing to test those waters yet. I was like, so wanting to be prepared and on top of everything. Hmm. But it also was like necessary and I think has served me well later in my career. So I don't know that I would change it, but I am sometimes envious of people who had like a little bit more of like a, a wild time in college. <laughs> um, do you feel like that preparation almost can become a shield for you? Like, do you feel like you use, uh, you know, an, an obsessive amount of practice and preparation actually as a way of sort of protecting yourself or, or maybe actually maybe in college it was almost holding off social relationships or holding off, um, other things like that. Um, yeah, I think it definitely can be a, a protective shield. I mean, I think for me, it is one way of calming my nerves. I know a certain level that I need to get to for my comfort to feel like I'm really prepared for this. And so, yes, it is a kind of protection, but I think the 
that's kind of good. <laughs> I don't know that it's it's um, been detrimental. I think it's it's actually served me well. Um, and, you know, obviously I was still able to make friendships and have relationships. So no, I don't think it was like yeah. keeping me from that. Well, clearly. And I think a lot of artists, like uh, deep preparation actually allows them to be looser in the room or loose, you know, if it's for an audition, for instance, like I certainly am that way. I'm like, if I'm unprepared, I'm going to be tight because I'm going to be nervous. I'm going to mess something up. And then, but if actually I'm super prepared, I'm actually going to be much freer to play than I am because I go, I, I know I've done it well a number of different ways. This is going to work. I'm not, I don't, I don't have to, you know, hold on to it quite so tight. Um, let's take a super quick break. And on the back end of this break, we are going to play a brand new one-time only game with Elizabeth Stanley, where we may get to embarrass our host and our guest at the same time. Oh. So we'll see you in a sec. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, we're back with Elizabeth Stanley, and here it's time to play the newlywed game. Now, the newlywed game, as Charlie Murphy has defined it in this version of the podcast, is not really a traditional newlywed game. It's basically, you have two things. You have to either get a question right, whether it's a trivia question sometimes, or you have to guess what I would say, which is a little bit closer to a newlywed game. I think this game is really going to test our compatibility you know, to really see, like, do we belong together or not, based on the number of correct answers that you get. It's good to find that out in a podcast. Well, yeah, right before we have a child, I know. But because I love you, I'm willing for each correct answer you get, I will cook you a gourmet meal, and I will clean our entire apartment. This is for oh. each correct answer you get. There are five questions. So this could be five meals and five apartment cleanings, if wow. you can get some of these questions right. That is truly high stakes. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. If Charlie could play any part in one musical or play, regardless of age or type, what part would he choose? Mimi in Rent, because he was singing it just the other day. <laughs> I told you it would embarrass that, the, the most. That is incorrect. It's Hamlet is the right answer. But I was singing a little snippet of Out Tonight for no good reason. Uh, absolutely no good reason. <laughs> Um, it's just 100% true. Okay, so that was embarrassing for me. You lost, but somehow I feel like I lost that question. But worth it. Question two is trivia time. Trivia time here. During quarantine, I made you sit down and watch four seasons of The West Wing. The West Wing, my favorite television show. What is Leo's daughter's name on the show? Oh my God. That is Leo's daughter's name. You can do this. You saw her in many episodes. <laughs> I have no idea. Julia. Julia. Come on. <laughs> We're looking for Mallory. Mallory was the correct answer. Would you have known if I'd said, what is Leo's last name? I almost asked you that and I was worried you were going to get it. No. Absolutely not. Okay, great. That's you watched a total of, I think, 120 episodes together. So that's okay. terrible. It's going okay, great, great, everyone. It's going great. Going great. Question three. She's 0 for 2 so far. Our marriage is hanging by a thread at this point. <laughs> If Charlie and you were to sing one karaoke duet of a song that you have never sang together, what would the perfect duet be, according to Charlie? Um, 
All My Life by Casey and Jojo. Oh, that's a better answer than what we put down. Um, that would have been great. Would have been great if we had sung that together. I would love to emotionally give you points, but wrong. Megan came up with a very funny answer, which was Love Story by Taylor Swift that oh. we would turn into a duet. Okay. Question four. You have two more questions left. This is, we're going back to trivia time. Okay. Charlie's favorite basketball team is the Golden State Warriors. Other than Steph Curry, name two members of the Golden State Warriors 2021 team. Two? Oh, come on. Give her just one. I'll give her half of one. Zion Williamson? <laughs> Incorrect, though. Great try. Um, what is Steph Curry's first name? Steven. <laughs> Wardell is the correct answer. Wardell. Okay, great. So we gave you some bonus opportunities. You're still 0 for 4. You're something like 0 for 7. Um, but this one you have a really good chance at. This is the one that's going to do it. Okay. We're going to do a little mind reading. This is a newlywed okay. mind reading game. Okay, mm-hmm. ready? What is the number that I'm thinking of between 1 and 13 million? Come on. If, we, if love is true, you will guess it. Oh, my. Um, it's here. 13. Oh, no, it was 2,563,421 was the number I was thinking of. But that was a really Close. good try, Elizabeth. 0 for 5. Oh, God, you missed out on gourmet meals. You missed out on an apartment cleaning. But, you know, I feel like America won in, in that uh, game as much as possible. Did they? <laughs> unclear. Very unclear. Um, let's jump forward a little bit back to your professional life. Um, so I'd love to talk about you've now graduated school. You're 22. I'd love to hear a little bit of how about, about how you navigated that time, both kind of professionally, but then I think specifically with you, because I really love the path that you took educationally. And sometimes I'll talk to our students about like, look at the different way you can sort of um, pile things together. I'd love to hear about like, what were the steps you took educationally to maybe complete your training, continue your training, uh, uh, accentuate areas that you felt like you were weaker in? Um, so tell me a little bit about that, like 22 to you know, 26 or 27 or whatever time period you want to talk about there? Well, I I first, I did a summer job after I graduated. Then I moved home with my parents to save money, um, which was, you know, it was hard. It's hard to move back in with your parents, as many people have probably discovered during this past year. Um, But I was really grateful that I had that privilege um, so that I could move to New York with more than zero dollars in my bank account, you know? Um, so I always had a side hustle. Um, I had did various, various things for many years. Um, my first was being a cater waiter and I probably did that one the longest. I also worked as a temp in an office for, you know, many years on and off. Um, I did some nannying and then I did a lot of regional theater during the first several years that I lived in New York, which for me was so good because you know, I wasn't someone who was like diehard music theater. Like I knew all the songs. I knew every musical. I knew every composer. I had taken ton, you know, decades of dance. Like I just, that wasn't me. Um, and so it was kind of great to get a ton of experience under my belt mm. without like the New York times reviewing it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. I learned so much from like older actors in the business that I was constantly going out of town and doing shows with. Um, and I gained a real appreciation, I think, for just what it is to, to be an artist and what that looks like and, you know, financially what that looks like, what it looks like to have a family and try and do it. Because um, I was just constantly observing other people who had been doing it longer than me. Um, Mm. 
And so in between when I would kind of, you know, be able to like save a little bit of money, I, I then started realizing like, I want to take class. Like I miss a, I miss having like a performance outlet when I'm not working on a show, but also I want to get better. And I was still really lucky. Like I was still getting cast as leads regionally, um, pretty often, but it just, it feels like there's never, you can never stop learning and growing and Mm -hmm. like challenging yourself is how I I still feel that way. Um, And so I got into Craig Cornelia's music theater class, which I took for many years, like on and off. Um, And it was, you know, it was a financial sacrifice for me. I remember like once I started taking that class, I was like, oh, I feel like now my budget is is so much tighter. Um, But it, it was worth it. It was just good. It was good to see what other people were doing and good to learn from watching um, and good to have a different teacher than the, all the teachers I'd had in school. Um, and for me, Craig's class was really about like becoming an actor. Um, I had spent so much time, you know, coming at this from um, uh, as a musician and um, as, a, as a vocalist that There was like a little bit of undoing of like, oh, I could try these different things with my voice or I could just not even think about my voice because I've already spent so many years studying that and just let the voice do what it's going to do and really just focus on what does it feel like to act this song. And that became so exciting to me and I loved it. Um, You know, and so I took that class for many years. And then in 2010, I was doing my third Broadway show, which was Million Dollar Quartet, and I felt that show was not really challenging me. I mean, it was like at a great, you know, it's always great to be in a Broadway show, but um, as I think many people will say, like just because it's Broadway does not mean it's going to be like your best, most creative, awesome experience. Like I've had regional gigs that I loved way more than, than other Broadway moments, you know? So it's just, it's, everything is, it's, it's just part of the, the journey in, in quotes, but it is. Um, and so at that time I decided like, I want to take it just an acting class, like no singing, like just acting, which felt kind of scary to me at the time. Um, mm. But it was like a great way to be scared. Um, and so I started studying with this woman who I'd taken, who I'd coached with a little bit in the past named Joan Rosenfels. And, um, and she's become a, a great mentor of mine. And, I've, I've studied with her a lot continually throughout the years and, you know, and I'm sure I will continue to, and I'm sure I will continue to find other teachers. Um, and, and likewise, I've taken a couple like on camera classes. Cause that was, I didn't have anything about that in my training and it wasn't something I was super like interested in or even thinking about when I was in school, but now I love that. And I, I continue to be fascinated by like, oh, what is that? Wow, it's so different. The process of being on a set is like a completely different way of using the same set of skills, but there's a lot to learn there. So um, yeah, I don't know. It's something I kind of love about this this business is that it's just like endlessly pushing me to try new things. I think that is so helpful for our students to hear, especially maybe students, you know, who a couple months ago were in that place of going or, you know, three weeks ago now as we're recording this um, in that place of deciding between options. And they're saying, oh, this one I think will give me better training here. But this one I feel like will really prepare me here. 
just to take that longer term view and go, well, you're not done at 22. It's not like you're cooked and then there's nothing else to to bake in you or whatever. Um, that there is so much that you go, I can continue to develop this and using the skills that I have here, how do I then accentuate this skill? Um, yeah. I think particularly for you, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to be a little bit biased here, but I think you were such a phenomenal actor of song. But it seems from the outside, I have no idea if this is true, but it seems from the outside that you're incredible musicianship allows you to do that in a way that I think some some singing actors are still at some level thinking about their singing more than you are like you it seems like you are so solid in what you're doing musically what you're doing vocally that you're able to really just treat a, a, a song like a scene and it's why I think your acting is so naturalistic and so um, beautiful but I think some of that has to come from that training that you have some of that comes from that real foundation of musical training that you have then allows you to to flourish as an actor yeah, I think that's. I mean, thank you. But yeah, it's mostly as a compliment. I think that I think that that is true. I think um, I do feel, and it's not to say I never think about my voice. You know, I I often think about my voice and practice things. I think about it all the um, time. Yeah, I think I'm sure you do. Um, but it's it is a muscle that I know inside and out. I know really well, and so I do feel like I can relax into that and and it can kind of go on autopilot. I can trust it. I know what it's going to do most of the time. Um, and so, yeah, I can think about other things, which is super freeing when you're doing musicals, which ask you to do so many things at once. Mm. Uh, it's so cool to watch from the outside as someone who doesn't have that expertise vocally, but who like likes to sing. Like I'll hear you say things like, uh, I think my voice is feeling a little weaker. It's feeling, I'm like, you sound perfect. Like I would know my voice is tired once it's hoarse. Like once I couldn't sing anymore, I'd be like, oh, I guess I sang too loud. Like, but you'll be like, I probably have a little bit more in me. Like I need to, like, you just have such a fine tuned understanding of what your instrument is. It's really cool to watch from the outside. Thanks. So we don't do a lot of like career reflection moments um, for our guest artists, many of whom have very exciting careers and really we focus a little bit more on the the early years and the college and stuff like that. But I do think our listeners would probably love to hear a little bit about the craziness of that March 12th moment and what it was like for you, right? So your your career is like cresting. You already had this really successful career, but now at a new high as the lead of this hit Broadway musical, you're engaged to the most wonderful man on earth. Everything about your life is going so well. And then all of a sudden, a pandemic. So like, I just would love to hear a little bit about how did you navigate that kind of most unexpected of curveballs um, and, and what that was like for you, you know, to have such a high followed by such a, a crazy low that we've all experienced. Yeah, it, I mean, it was hard. <laughs> I think there's no real way to frame it. Um, it was so shocking, I think, to be, to have it be such a, um, a first time kind of high in my career and then to really just have like the bottom drop out. So I think I spent the first several months kind of just coming to terms with like, what is that? What does that mean? Like trying to grasp as I think many of us were like, what is really lost? Like, I can't even name what what's lost. And that is like a uncomfortable place to sit in because, you know, there are many times as an actor when I've been unemployed or not known what's next, or, you mm -hmm. know, it's a, it is a lifestyle of uncertainty. So I think I kept being like, this is fine. I know how to do this. But as it went on, I was like, no, I don't. Cause this is different and things are changing. And, and, 
you know, change, even when it's good, is uncomfortable for most of us anyway. (laughs) And so I think it just has, it's, it continues to be something that is a challenge to kind of say, okay, now that things are coming back, like, well, what does, what does that mean? That's also another change because now we've gotten Mm. settled into a little bit of a, a way of existing. And, um, Mm -hmm. so it just, it's been a, a real like wave to ride, I think. And for me, wasn't an incredibly productive, creative time, um, which is also unusual for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I think most people that know me would say like, I'm someone who generates a lot of just creative energy. You know, I'm always kind of making something with my hands or trying a new recipe or, um, traveling and exploring or, you know, um, I always kind of find a place to, to channel my creative mood. And that was really hard this past year. There were a lot of handicaps around that. Um, and I found that kind of painful. So I, you know, I, and then I had to have had to deal with like my comparison, which is never a great idea. Um, and usually something that I feel pretty in check with, but I think this past year is, has been a demon that has really like reared its ugly head of like, but so-and-so like did all of these things during the pandemic. And what have I done? Um, which I mean, even saying that out loud, I'm like, that is like a hideous thing to be worried about. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, like let's compare our pandemics. Like, um, we're alive and that's great. (laughs) Let's compare our pandemics. (laughs) It's such a fascinating discussion with you, especially because I know you didn't write the next great American novel, but I do think from the outside, a lot of people would look and think, she had such a productive pandemic. Think about the concerts she did. She started a tie-dye business. She was doing all this. You know, so from looking from the outside, people are like, you did a ton and you traveled and you've seen all these things. You're creating a new life inside your belly. Like all, all these amazing, literally producing, you know, in this pandemic. And I, I do think you are someone who someone else could have watched and gone, oh, I should have done the pandemic like Elizabeth. <laughs> and yet I think you still feel like, I wish I should have done this pandemic like someone else, right? I just think, I think it's helpful for artists to hear that basically wherever you are in the food chain or on the ladder of, of productivity in this case, but in success in other cases, that everybody has that feeling of looking up and everybody has that feeling of, shouldn't I have done more? What should I have done differently? Et cetera. So true. Um, so just in kind of wrap up contemplation, um, you know, as someone who's kind of connected to this industry or very connected to this industry in some of the ways it may be changing um, in the crazy year of 2021 that we're living in, um, I'd just love to hear a little bit about where you think we're going, um, how you are plan- planning to navigate that, how you see the industry changing in the next 10 years, et cetera. That's such a big question. <laughs> um, well, you have three minutes. <laughs> I think it's awesome um, that we're, ha- we're talking, right? That we're having these conversations out loud, that people are feeling empowered to share their feelings and, you know, come together to, to work through some of the, the change that is, that is needed and that is overdue. And I'm personally hoping that there is a lot more transparency in our industry. I think when things are revealed, when the truth is there, like when, when you say like, oh, I know how much so-and-so is making, or I know how much my producers are making off of this production, or I understand like how this 
nonprofit is funded. Um, it's just empowering to all of us, right? Like we all feel more seen, safer, more understood. We can make educated choices for ourselves about what feels right, what feels good to us about where we, where we want to work, um, what kind of jobs we're willing to take, um, you know, allows us to feel hopefully respected and seen. Um, so I think some of those conversations are good and really important to have, even though, you know, it can feel uncomfortable getting there. Um, and I think, you know, what I'm witnessing right now is that uh, there are a ton of really caring people who are after a common goal, who have different ways of getting there, right. Different Mm. ways of working, working towards that. Um, and I think that's good too. I mean, again, it can sometimes be uncomfortable because it feels like discord. Um, it feels Mm -hmm. like, uh, there's a rub, but you know, if you look historically at history, there's often a rub when there's a good change that is happening. And so I'm excited, you know, I, am excited to come back and I, I hope that the big changes I think really need to happen at the top. In general, I feel like as the artist, we're, we're really at the bottom right, <laughs> of, of like this big food chain in terms of the way that theater is produced. And I mean, at every level, like, you know, even at a small nonprofit in your hometown, there's still people that fund it and there are still people that manage it and people that run it and people that make decisions. And ultimately like you are a final choice that they make in casting you. Right. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's great that we're calling upon the people that are, you know, holding the strings, so to speak, um, to ask, to just, I I don't know, inspect themselves to say, how can you be, the most conscious, best person you can be and, and run this business, which also requires, you know, being business savvy, like, you know, and I think it's good. It's, it's educating us as artists about like, Oh, what does it really take to run a show? Mm -hmm. Um, because I think a lot, like, I know I, there's so much that I didn't really ever consider when I was a young artist, like, what does it take to produce theater? What, you know, how much money is necessary and what about press and what about awards and what about, you know, all of this, this stuff that I just like, I was so focused on the craft. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's good for artists to take a look at the big picture. And then I think it's, it's, it's good for people more on the producing side to look at the humanity of everyone that they're employing. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping we meet it, meet in the middle somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. well said. Um, I'm only going to ask you one more question. Uh, I'd love to just hear if you think about um, a young artist today, whether they're you know an 18-year-old about to start college or a 22-year-old about to graduate and, and go out into the world, what advice would you give that young person? I'm going to give some advice that I think was given to me and that I wish I would have heeded more, um, which is to listen. I think... Um, it's awesome to feel empowered and to use your voice also. So definitely do that. I don't mean silence yourself and only listen, but I mean, make sure that you're listening, which is useful on stage within the craft in terms of like Mm -hmm. being present, being truly present with your scene partner 
and being truly present with like the people in the rehearsal room. But also like as we are navigating this, all these changes happening, there are people that have come before you that have wisdom. You know, there's plenty that's come before you that is stuck and needs to change. And we need the young people to use their voices and their their fresh set of eyes to say, wait a minute, that's crazy. Why is that like that? We need to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just would encourage also like, look for the look for the people who are carrying the wisdom because they're also there. And um, I think that's also useful. It sounds like advice that you did follow in terms of, at least as you were early in your career, learning from, you talked about learning from those mentors that you were kind of apprenticing to um, in those early regional jobs. It seems like that also taught you a lot artistically. Yeah, it definitely did. But I always feel like, I'm like, I I should have listened to that more, you know? So that's why I say like, (laughs) oh, I could have, I could have literally listened to it more. For sure. Always. Um, If people loved hearing you as much as I like listening to you today, um, let's give them some ats and tags to to follow you. How could someone check you out a little bit more? Some ats and tags. Well, really the only place you can find me is on Instagram, which is Uh el.stands. So el.stands on Instagram. That's the only social media I can handle. Oh, and but you handle it very well. Is there anything you need to plug, things you need to know for our audience that need to know about that's coming up for you? I am in the midst of putting together a summer concert, which I'm doing at a few different places this summer, which I will definitely mm. be advertising on my Instagram. Um, but the first one is at Forestburg Playhouse, and the next one is at Barrington Stage Company, and the last one is out in the Hamptons. So if you want to come see me sing live and pregnant and very pregnant in all my glory, um, it's going to be, uh, I think a lot of like fun pop tunes that we all know and love and just like a feel good show. So I would love to see real life faces there and they're all outdoors and we'll have, mm. you know, safety protocols in place. So it'd be so nice to kind of commune in person with anyone who wants to. And that may be the debut of the love story duet. That could be where it comes is in your concert. Oh gosh. We'll talk about it. We'll discuss okay. it a little bit. Maybe I'll talk, TB, I'll talk to you TBD. TBD. Um, thank you so much for the time, Elizabeth. I really appreciate it. Um, and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of this today. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to chat so formally with you. <laughs> you bet. you enjoyed listening to Elizabeth as much as I did. Um, I just want to take a little second and dive a bit deeper into something we were talking about, that idea of kind of continuing your training. Um, I think Elizabeth gave such a great answer and is kind of such a a great model um, for continuing growth and continuing artistic development even beyond the college years. Um, I think that is a real goal, especially maybe for some of our alumni students or some of our students who are either in college or have just graduated um, or early in their careers to keep investigating what are the ways I continue to grow artistically. That can mean specifically in artistic skill sets like taking classes. Maybe you want to improve as an actor, a singer, a dancer, wherever you feel in the business you want to um, specifically improve your skills from teachers like Joan and Craig, um, who are both fantastic teachers. I've taken from Joan myself on Elizabeth's recommendation and I found her to be just a wonderful acting teacher. Um, But I also think it goes beyond just classes and to an attitude that Elizabeth brings to her life that I think is really helpful to us as artists. And it's a really tricky attitude to maintain in this business. It's how can you stay curious and learn in whatever moments of life you are, whether it's in a show, in this moment of your career as a business, or in your personal life. 
I think that openness is really hard to maintain in an industry that is often asking you to present a finished product. So you'll feel a pressure coming out of a BFA program and doing a showcase to feel like you're done cooking at 22, that that's it. I am a finished adult full product. And there's another kind of journey that happens after that where you go, I got to actually find the softness and open this up and, and refine the curiousness I might have had at 16 to be able to go, where can I keep developing, right? But the tricky balance of that is that you are ready to start working and you want to go hit the stages and you want to be out there, as Devere would say, doing the thing. Um, but just because you've begun your professional work doesn't mean that your artistic growth should be stopping, right? We all know this from being in a show. As soon as you sort of set something artistically, it can start to feel a little stuck or stale. If you're like, I'm giving that same line reading every night. I'm going to stand in this spot and play this emotional moment. You're like, well, now it feels like I'm playing a result and it starts feeling fake and it starts feeling like you're not finding the inspiration behind it. I think that's the trick of what we want to try to find in our careers as well. How do we keep hitting that refresh button so that we can go, let me take in new information without necessarily washing away all the good things that we've learned, all the sort of progress that we've made in our careers. I think it's a really difficult balance to strike, but it is really worth investigating from both ends of, you know, what am I presenting to the world? Is it too messy and too open and too curious and there's not enough sort of professionalism in it? Or is it too stuck and professional and perfect and I'm not actually allowing myself to stay open to new ideas and to keep learning and growing and, and become a different artist than I was 10 years ago? What, where are the places I can still continue to grow and expand? Well, if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more of me and Elizabeth talking, just come over to our apartment anytime. This is basically what we do all day, every day. But if you want to hear more podcast episodes, I'd hit that subscribe button whenever you get a chance. Um, we'd also love it if you were to rate and review us wherever you found us. Um, Megan suggests five stars if you loved us and want your friends to know about it. And then like a fake five stars if you hated us and want to throw your enemies off the trail. That's what Megan thinks. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeaudition.com, and we will try to answer a few of those questions once we begin our mailbag segments. If you are interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual preparation for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. To my young artists out there mapping their journeys, my best advice to you, marry up. See you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.